text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5. Galatians 1, 3 through 5. I'll read verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would help us Help our hearts, help our minds be absolutely amazed at what these three verses tell us that we're going to look at. Lord, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at verse 4 of Galatians 1, you see these words, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The present evil age. We're all suffering We are all suffering in the present evil age. This evil takes on three categorical forms. Natural evil, things like tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and diseases and bacteria. Supernatural evil, the devil and his demons, and moral evil, you and me. In this present evil age, natural evil affects animals, crops, the weather, your work, Last Thursday, in this present evil age, a high-rise building in Tehran, Iran, became engulfed by fire, and it collapsed and killed 30 firefighters seeking to save those in the building. In this present evil age, on that very same day, last Thursday, Four people died in a tornado that ripped through Missouri. On the very same day, in this present evil age, an avalanche hit an Italian hotel, leaving 30 that they feared dead. They couldn't find at least 30 people 
that were in this hotel. In this present evil age, last Monday, a utility worker in Key Largo, Florida, noticed that a section of paved, of a paved street was not settling properly. So he decided to remove a manhole cover and descend into the earth. Moments later, on that Monday morning, the 15-foot deep hole went silent. Sensing the man was trapped, a fellow worker worked, or a fellow utility worker climbed into the drainage hole to rescue him when he too stopped responding. A third worker entered the same hole. All three men died, overcome by poisonous fumes underground. In this present evil age, we see and hear and feel natural evil. In this present evil age, we struggle with supernatural evil. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In this present evil age, we fight against a cosmic, supernatural evil. And then, in this present evil age, we struggle against and suffer from moral evil. All your relationships, your marriage, your hobbies, your church, your body, your heart, your mind, your affections, your actions are all affected by the moral evil inside you and inside me. You might say, well, Sam, that sounds pretty harsh. This is a pretty dark start to the sermon. Well, the reason why we don't sing as we ought when we sing these songs as we don't think and believe what the Bible says about us. Listen, Mark 7.21, from within, out of the heart of man, evil thoughts come. One of the most devastating statements. From within, the core of who you are, evil thoughts come. Jesus taught sexual immorality, theft, murder, idolatry, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person, says Jesus. Therefore, all of our relationships are broken to some degree and difficult. Our relationship with God because of the moral evil that resides in us is 
broken. This is what the Bible describes as normal. You see, a psychologist might try to look at the human experience and they call all these things we struggle with normal. But they don't feel normal as our lives are devastated by these things. Scott read this this morning. Ephesians 1. Here's normal. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And here's how it sums up the human race. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Moral evil. This week, as I looked at the news, I saw that a Houston area middle school teacher was sentenced Friday to 10 years in prison for having a long-term sexual relationship with a 13-year-old student who impregnated her. In this present evil age, on Tuesday, an Illinois judge dubbed a 35-year-old woman a, quote, monster mom before sentencing her to 43 years in prison for the 2014 murder of her 11-year-old daughter. She would lock the child up in a closet furnished with only a sink and feed the child only a bowl of cereal a day. And the child died from being punched in the stomach and from internal injuries got an infection and died in this present evil age. And I don't know what you're thinking when you hear about this mom who did this. But in this present evil age, I read this week that 58 million, 586,256 abortions have happened since Roe v. Wade in 1973. Every single day, a silent horror kills more Americans than were killed on 9-11. 3,000 lives were lost on 9-11. And every day, 3,000 American lives are destroyed. Silently. Every single year, this silent horror kills as many Americans as have been killed on all the battlefields in all the wars in U.S. history combined in one year. This silent horror, you know, is called abortion. 
in this present evil age, it has been reported that a staggering 41% of all New York City pregnancies end in abortion. And the most humbling of all is what the Bible teaches us. From Jesus' own mouth, Matthew 5.21, You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever mur murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. What the Bible teaches us is that we ourselves are evil. That mom who killed her daughter or all the abortions or that teacher who committed sexual immorality with a minor. How do you compare? Are you on another level? Jesus puts you and I on the same level and He calls us evil. He says it in passing. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to give good gifts? He just says it. To live in a present evil age of such darkness, of such brokenness. What are we going to do when the effects of moral evil is in the core of our existence? It's our very nature of who we are. Well, let's look at this text and hopefully we will stand in awe as we ponder these words the Apostle Paul tells us. Last week, we looked at verses 1 and 2. We saw that Paul, his name's been changed. He's been shown sovereign grace. The fact that he's been converted by God, an apostle. He's given authority to lay the foundation of the early church off Christ. Not from men, but nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, the God and Father who raised him from the dead. Everything that Paul believes about his identity is from God. And with that, he delivers a message. After the greeting, he tells the church of Galatia these words. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father in our Lord Jesus Christ. A gift. Grace and peace. Wait a minute. We live in a present evil age. We don't only live in a present evil age and in a world that has natural evil and supernatural evil. We partake in that evil and a gift shows up that says grace and peace? What? How can this be? All the human race knows is shame 
and guilt and fear. That's normal. That's what everyone experiences. None of those have anything or ever expect to receive the message, grace and peace. Ponder the gift. What does grace mean? Let's just, just take a technical look at the words so we can be amazed. Grace in the New Testament combines two different words in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word hain is usually translated grace. It means acts which display one's fondness or compassion for another. Someone's fond of me? Someone is show, putting compassion in my direction? I'm not so much a victim as I am a rebel, and someone's having compassion towards me? And then the other Old Testament word, hesed, which means steadfast, loyal love unfailing kindness or devotion, a love or an affection that is steadfast based on a prior relationship. Who would ever have compassion towards me and kindness towards me in a steadfast manner that would never fail? What is this grace, this unmerited favor? To me, the title of the sermon, Grace and Peace to Whom? The song we just sang. Who is this message given to? In Exodus 34, starting in verse 6, Here's how the Old Testament lays this concept out. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let me just say those words again. Here's, here's the Lord of heaven. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What? How can this be? How can God show grace and mercy and have steadfast love and forgive sins, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? See, this is the big question of the Bible. How can God not shuffle sin under the rug and offer forgiveness? But this is what our God is like. Psalm 25, 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord. 
and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. (laughs) I love it. David's saying, Lord, remember who you are. Remember your mercy. Remember your love. Don't look at me. Don't look at my sins. When you think of me, act on your steadfast love and mercy. And then he says this, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. For Therefore, he instructs a sinner in his way. David says, look on me, not because I'm worthy to be looked on, but that you might be glorified. You are good. Grace to you. Unmerited forgiveness and mercy. And when Paul in the New Testament uses the word grace, it isn't just unmerited favor, but it's the type of unmerited favor that actually transforms you. It's a transforming grace. When the grace of God comes to you, it comes with gifts. And those gifts begin to transform what you are like. Grace to you. What about peace? Peace means tranquility. Freedom from worry and danger. What? In this present evil age, the same world that I just described, the same realities that we all experience, grace and peace? Tranquility? Freedom from worry or danger? How could this ever be? Well, let's let the prophets help us a little bit. Ezekiel 37.26 I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. In this new covenant that's going to come to the people of God, It's going to be a covenant of peace where God comes and dwells in the midst of the people. Which, how could that ever be peaceful? Think about it. If God shows up here, what's a sinner do? (laughs) Well, we find out in Revelation, don't we? They climb in caves and they cover themselves under rocks. They ask that the rocks would fall on them rather than face the wrath of the Lamb in their sin, but there's a covenant of peace that will happen one day. Psalm 72.7 In His days, in the Messiah's days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Isaiah 54.10 For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. See all those words in there? Let me just read that again. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. This earth is going to wear out and be gone. But my steadfast love 
shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And we see in Isaiah that this peace comes from the preaching of the gospel. Isaiah 52.7 How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Peace will only come when the Messiah comes. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon His shoulders and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, I watched the inauguration basically all day. My heart goes out to Donald Trump. I just have a heart for him. And I can't help but laugh when he makes the promise when he says, I will never, ever, ever let you down. Not because I don't think he's a smart man or talented man. He's a man. Men let people down. But this child who is born, the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Because of that, every day I want to pray that the power of God works through all of our elected officials, works in Barack Obama's heart, because our hope is in the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the one who can really bring peace. And this peace comes through suffering. Isaiah tells us this, Isaiah 53.5, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that what? brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. And so, in these words that we read so quick, we read it as a greeting. I pray that you stand in awe and ponder the gift that is to you. Grace and peace to you. Now ponder the giver. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've talked about this. If a great gift is promised to you, you want to know the credibility of the giver, right? I want to know if His promises and His gifts will really come true. But this grace and peace is from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know there's nowhere in the New Testament that says grace or peace comes from anyone other than God Himself? 
grace and peace can only come from God. Paul isn't giving his grace and his peace. He's an apostle of God. He's been given the gospel of God. He's been given the message of God. He's been given the gift of God to give away. In Nowhere in the New Testament does grace and peace come from an angelic being or human being, says Tom Schreiner. He says, such gifts come only from God, and hence we have some of the raw materials from which the church hammered out the doctrine of the Trinity. So the early church fathers took this verse and said, look it, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those don't come from men, therefore Christ must be also divine. God is the giver. He's the assurity that these promises will be true. Now, ponder the cost that it cost the giver to give you grace and peace. How can He give such a great gift to evil people? Look at verse 4. Who gave... Himself. So there's the cost. What price are you going to put on Jesus Christ? The one who has no beginning. He's eternal. He's the Creator. He's God Himself. There is no value greater than Christ. But it says He gave Himself for our sins. Absolutely unbelievable. The highest cost has been given to us to pay the price for our most wicked acts. Listen how Paul says it later in this book, Galatians 2.20. You've all probably heard this verse before, but just listen. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Unbelievable the cost Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. If Christ is going to speak peace to us, He has to take away sin. And the wages of sin is death. Christ had to die, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the most amazing love story in the world. The highest cost paid and a free gift given through that payment and the people he gave it to were evil to the core. See, the only reason why we don't identify with murderers is because of the common grace of God. If God didn't restrain all of us, we would take our sin 
to the highest degree. It's only by the mercy of God you look as civilized as you look. Because Jesus says, from the core, out of the heart of man, comes evil. Ponder the reason why He paid the cost. Well, before we do that, i got to give you the C.S. Lewis quote that I read this week. God can't give us peace and happiness apart from Himself because there's no such thing. The only way you can have peace, the only way you can have happiness is if God gives us Himself. And He literally gave Himself to make the payment for our sins so that we can have Himself for all eternity. That's what makes heaven, heaven. It's in His presence forever. If God gave you anything else or promised you anything else, even if you got to choose it, He would hate you because there is no happiness apart from a relationship with Him. That's why this world is chasing after anything it can but finding itself miserable if it's going to be honest. There is no satisfaction apart from having peace with your Creator and God. So ponder the reason why He paid the cost. We don't have to spend much time here because of the introduction. He gave Himself for our sins for this reason. To deliver us from this present evil age. When I got done with my introduction, and you know I just gave you the tip of the iceberg of all the examples I could have given you of moral evil, natural evil, and supernatural evil. The impossibility of climbing out of that is staggering. There's no hope. To think of a man, some person that can fix this stuff is crazy. But Jesus Christ died to deliver you and I from this present evil age. To deliver us from natural evil. One day there will not be disease viruses and bacterias and cancers. There will not be tornadoes that will at least kill people. (laughs) Nature will be set straight again. And one day, believe it or not, if you're trusting in Christ and you know Him as your Savior, you will not sin again. Your heart will Stop producing evil. How about our Lord? How about the gift of grace and peace? The only life worth living is if somehow, someday, we can be at peace, right? It's too much to bear the guilt and shame and fear. Listen to Romans 8.18. Here's here's how Paul puts this in words, this longing for this to be over, to be delivered from this 
present evil age. For I've considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He has a scale. And he says, take these sufferings, which how long, I would have to talk for ever to put all the sufferings on this. And he says, it's not a worthy comparison. The glory that's going to be revealed to you, it's not worthy to put this suffering on this side of the scale and the glory that's coming to believers. It's not worth putting on a scale to count it that way, to compare it that way. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Even creation hates the cycle it's in. Creation is in this cycle because of supernatural and moral evil. Satan came into the garden, man sinned, God cursed creation. But creation knows that one day it's going to be set free. When Christ returns and the sons and daughters of God will be revealed, on that day, a tree won't die anymore. It'll produce fruit the way it's supposed to produce fruit. What did fruit taste like before the curse? This beautiful world we see, what was it like before the curse when there was no weeds and nothing holding it back, just growing for the glory of God, producing for the glory of God? And then he says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Can you relate to that? You have any aches and pains? You feeling the effects of the fall? Are you groaning? waiting for the day that all this present evil age is gone? Right now, we get to live by faith with the promises of Christ. Our guilt, our shame, our fear can be gone today. Yes, we will suffer from still living in a fallen world and still fight moral evil that's inside us, but no longer does that fight need to be with the fearful expectation of judgment, but rather a longing and looking forward to the Messiah that will come back and will culminate in totally bringing us into the new age. You see, right now, we're in two ages. The present evil age, but a new age began when Jesus Christ stepped foot on this earth. And that new age will be finished someday. Let me just read it to you. Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21, starting verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. After that amazing promise, I don't know if you caught it, he said, write this down. John, write these words down. And then he says these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That promise will get done. We will be delivered from this present evil age. And number five in your notes, it says worship God. Because all this is done, look at what it says at the end of verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Is the most beautiful part of this whole thing is God wanted to do it. God wanted to save you. God wanted to have mercy on you. God wanted to deliver you from this present evil age. God wanted to send His own Son to die under His judgment and raise Him up and make Him your King. This was all the plan of God. Therefore, what else do we say? But to whom be glory forever and ever? Amen. No one can deliver us from this present evil age except Jesus Christ. I remember when I used to ask the question, well, how do I know Christianity is true? How do I know uh, Islam isn't true? Or how do I know uh, Buddhism isn't true? How do I know Mormon? The reason why is who can deliver us? Show me how. Christ is the only one. A man needed to die because a man sinned. If there's going to be a substitute, he has to become just like us. And he became fully human. And if that man who was going to die in the substitute of all sinful men, somehow that one man would have to have eternal worth. And that one man is also a divine man. 100% God. Jesus is the only one that can deliver us from our sins, from this present evil age, and give you the gift of grace and peace. So let me just 
finish it by pretending like we receive a gift. Just think about this for a minute. So we're evil from the heart, from inside. We're, our heart is enslaved to sin. We're deceived by the devil. We're living in a harsh and broken world. We sense the coming judgment. And all of a sudden, a gift shows up on your doorstep. And it says, grace and peace to you. And you say, no way. This, this had to have gone to the wrong address. Who is this foolish sender of this gift that obviously got the wrong place because there's no way grace or peace could come to me? But then you look at the gift and there's a name on it. It's from God. It's from Jesus Christ. And you begin to think, wait a minute. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get the wrong address. Grace and peace to me? No way. How can this be? Well, you find out that it can be because Jesus died for your sins and you think, no way. Not the Creator of the universe. He died in my place. The King of kings came down to die in place of one of His rebels. What does all this mean? So that I can be delivered from a present, this present evil age? This is unbelievable. And then you keep on reading on the package and it says there's more to come. You're going to be delivered today. No more shame, fear, or, or fear of death. It doesn't have to be there anymore. No more guilt has to be there anymore. But one day, it's a guarantee that the new age will be here. Why did he do this? Why did he, why would he do this? And then, Right there on the package it says, because I wanted to. Because it was my will. That's why you received this amazing gift of grace and peace. And at that point, the person who receives that gift be foolish to think of how you pay someone back for this. The only thing left to do is to worship your Creator. And when you do that in an amazing way, you're fulfilling what you're created for to worship Him and give glory to Him. It's my prayer that everyone here recognizes that you have no hope in this life, in this present evil age, you have no hope in the age to come apart from clinging to Jesus Christ by faith. You need to repent and believe and those are opposite sides of the same coin. Someone might say, so I'm believing in Jesus, but now how do I repent? Well, here's how it works. When you're living your old life, sin looks wonderful. And you go after it with all your heart. It might not look like horrible things. It might just be building up yourself in your own job. But you love sin. 
something other than worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, you hear the Gospel preached, you find out who you are, and you find out your need for Christ, you find out the wonderful gift God gave you in Jesus Christ, and you say, that's my only hope. So repentance is turning around. It's, here's was my life, and then this is, no, now this is my life. It's not that a person never sins again, but it's when I sin, I'm broken over it. I'm thankful for the grace of God that's there for me. I'm not going to pay the price for that. And I'm going to live for the God who created me. To look at Him and find hope in Him and to cling to Him is what it means to have faith. To say, no matter what, I'm not letting go of Him. He's my only hope. That's my prayer for you. Father, what mercy You've shown us. We thank You for Your steadfast love, for Your kindness, for Your mercy, for the promise of peace that we don't need to fear You, but we're brought into right relationship with You. We don't need to fear judgment for sin, but rather we can view You as our Father Lord, never help us lose the type of fear that just is in awe of You as God, though. God, let all of us cling to this wonderful gift given to us in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.